Well, it's good to be here again. It's been two years, I think, since I've been here. Um, I know Brother Boyd came and visited last year. Did he Did he get to speak to the, to the people, or did you and he just get together? Um, me and Brother William. Mm-hmm. Well, he said to say hello. He told me today to say hello to y'all, and John, Brother John did too. Uh, they usually do come on this trip, but uh, since I live in Florida now, I moved down to Pensacola. Of course, some people over there in Melbourne told me that really wasn't Florida, um, but it says so. Uh, and uh, but I didn't think it was Florida this this past couple of months. It was 17 degrees, and and uh, they said it was the coldest winter in uh, 25 or 30 years, and. Um, we live south of I-10, thank the Lord, and towards the coast because everything north of I-10 a few weeks ago was covered in snow. And we moved away from the cold north to get away from that. And I'd be darned if it didn't follow us down. But maybe we can be shedded out here pretty soon and be back to high humidity and high heat like we love. Um, <clears throat> I just I, I really enjoy being with you folks, uh, and uh, it's been quite an adventure the last couple of years, as life always is, as it is every day. I just spent um, well, really, just two days in uh, Palm Bay, in Melbourne, um, and uh, we had a great time there. We had four sessions in two days, and. Um, Almost, I would say, well, the numbers were like five times what they normally have been there. We've been going there as long as we've been coming here. And um, we're not... You know, we go see one person. I mean, whoever wants to hear the things of God, we're interested in seeing. We don't. Have, we don't. We do require at least one. Uh, but uh, I won't drive to a community, you know, just to just to you know, hang out at the McDonald's or something. But uh, but but we we've, we've been known to to drive way out of our way. Thank you, Floyd, for getting that uh, sound going. Drive, drive way out of our way uh, to just go see one person when we were. In uh, California, a couple of years ago, and we had a meeting in a little town called Modesto in Central California. There was a fellow that really wanted to come, but he was a he was an older man, and he he couldn't drive himself, and there was nobody to come, and he lived 120 miles away. So when we finished the meeting, uh, John Boyd and I got in the car and rode up there to see him. So it doesn't matter to us uh, how many people there are. What matters to us is that the people who who, who come um, uh, are are attentive uh, to to the things of God. That the desire in your heart is is something that is risen up from the Father, and um, and as, as Brother Theory and I were talking a few minutes ago. Um, Every man shall, you know, Jesus said that no man comes to me except the Father draw him. And uh, we take everybody, and I don't question anybody, and I don't give a test to see. But, uh, um, you know, we, we teach something that is unusual in the church. Um, in all churches, um, it runs the gamut. White, black, educated, uneducated, uh, 
foreign countries all over the United States, south of the border. Uh, what we what we are sharing is not the normal thing that's been taught in most churches in the past several hundred years since the Protestant Reformation. What we what we what we do speak actually goes back to the gospel itself. Uh, I, I'm, I'm firmly convinced that what the Lord has given us to share, firstly, first of all, it's not new. Um, you can trace back this truth of Christ in you, the hope of glory, through certain teachers and, and, and people who have this revelation all through history. It's just been a small number. It's never been, uh, you know, vast numbers. However, in our time now, I'm seeing a vast rising up of the message of Christ in you. It's really becoming uh, pretty prevalent everywhere. There's a large grace movement. They call it the grace movement that's going on right now. And uh, it's, it's sort of a, a backlash to the legalism that, that the church has mostly been under, either a mixture of law and grace or just plain old legalism that, that Protestant churches have, have been under for really since since almost the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther knew uh, the things that, that we speak about. Um, if, you, if you read Martin Luther way back, you know, he wrote in the uh, 1500s, and he said that God's desire was to bring up a race, he called it a race of little Christ. He said, you know, because, because what Jesus came to do was, first of all, to save us, to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but secondly, to come and live in us and express His own quality of divine life by means of our human living. In other words, and... and and, and there's some sense in which we've always known that, but the, where we've gotten it wrong, and I'll say God intended it this way, or it would have been different, because all things are work. He works all things after the counsel of His own will. But where we've gotten it wrong is that we somehow have to make ourselves to be what Jesus wants us to be. You know, Jesus said to the original, uh, to James and John and Peter and Andrew and all the apostles that he called, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now we hear the fishers of men part and the follow me part, but we miss the I will make you part. Because he's the one who does it. He's the one that fashions us as a potter fashions clay. But somehow in our... In our uh, thinking that's still left over from, from Adam, which we inherited through the fall, which, which caused us all, the whole human race, to think of ourselves and see ourselves as little islands of self unto ourselves, instead of what we really are, containers of, temples of, um, branches of the Lord God. You know, Jesus in the in the New Testament gave us all of these different pictures of what life in God was. And one of you know, in John chapter fifteen, he says, "I am the vine; you are the branches. My Father is the husbandman who planted the vine. Christ is the vine. It's one vine with many branches, and we're the branches. Now, that's when you go out there and look at a tree. It's one tree." 
one big trunk and branches are coming off. Big branches go into smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller branches. And then new growth is continually happening through those smaller branches. And the tree keeps growing and growing and growing and expanding and expanding. And so the humanity is really like that. That's the picture Jesus gave us. But we still see it or have seen it as just we're all a mass of little individuals and we're all alone. We're all alone unto ourselves. And um, But Jesus said, I'm the vine and you're the branches and when you abide in me you bear much fruit because, because it's my life that's working in you. My life is, is flowing and expanding through your being and I'm having my fruit come out through you. But it's this organic process. A branch doesn't sit and think about how it can become more like the vine. You know, and get closer to the vine and act more like the vine. The branch just is part of the vine. And it's a naturally occurring process that eventually fruit will come. If it's a, when we're speaking of trees or vines, if they're fruit-bearing type of plants. And so it's not something that the, the branch does on its own. And, you know, the same thing with becoming a fisher of men. We think, oh, okay, well, I've got to become a fisher of men. I've got to go to evangelism class and I've got to read books and I've got to learn what everybody... You know, how do you answer when somebody says this and how do you answer when somebody says that? Back in the 70s, uh, this uh, this program went through the country called the I Found It campaign. I don't know if any of y'all remember that. It was run by Dr. Bill Bright of the Campus Crusade uh, for Christ, and it you know it had good intentions because the the intention of the program was to witness to everyone in the United States with the gospel of Christ. But here's how they did it. My church participated, and that's how I know how it worked. Um, your church, your local church, and they, they you know, they, they uh, uh, presented this program to local churches and said, would you like to participate? And if you wanted to participate, they sent you, back in those days, and, and you all probably remember these things, those big... Uh, they called it green bar computer paper that all these the computer printouts used to come on. It'd be this wide and have the holes on the side and it'd be white and green, white and green, white and green stripes on the paper. And so everything way back before personal computers, they were printed out on mainframe computers and that's the and, and they went and you know those, those they were called line computers and I used to be in the computer business, that's why I know this. And they went at six hundred lines per minute. I mean they were really, really, really fast. Uh, but it's all it was all mechanical. It's like some, you know, like a typewriter. And in the, you know, if you remember in the early personal computer days, the first kind of personal computers printers were dot matrix printers, which were these just, you know, the little little points that hit the paper with ink, and then like a typewriter, and they formed letters based on these little dots. And anyway, they they gave every, the church a big pile of these green bar computer printouts, which were the names and addresses and phone numbers of everybody in your community, provided by the telephone company. And you got you agreed that you'd get a bank of phones and you stick it in your church basement, and you got some. That thing keeps drooping, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I kept going like this. <laughs> All right, we'll work with that. <laughs> We're having microphone difficulty here. All right. Okay, we got it. All right, thanks. 
But anyway, they gave us these, uh, that, that's got a lot, of, that's pretty hot there. Um, they, they gave us these, uh, what's that? Yeah, there it goes. <laughs> they gave us these, these computer printouts, and so we got the phones, and then what they gave us was a, um, uh, 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 everybody got a script. And the script was what you said when you called people on the phone. Somebody said, okay, you know, you're calling Mr. Jones, and you call Mr. Jones, and hopefully Mr. Jones answers the phone, and you say, hi, my name is Fred Pruitt. I'm with the I Found It campaign. You're reading all this, and hopefully they'll let you talk. Of course, a lot of people, you know, nobody talks to telemarketers anymore, but back then it was still kind of fresh, and you might be able to get through. And so, you you know, you would, uh, and, and then, you, you would go from there to another thing and another thing and eventually you'd get, get down to presenting the gospel. And then when the person would say whatever, say, well, I don't like church, well, you've got on page 10 the, the answer to I don't like church. You flip over there and you, you give them that answer. Or everybody in church is hypocrites. And so you flip over to the hypocrites page and you give them that answer. Really by the Spirit, right? <laughs> uh, and I don't think, you know, anything that you do for Jesus, God uses. And so I'm sure that some people were reached and some people, we didn't have, I don't remember one soul uh, being saved through our, our efforts, but probably somewhere in the country, somebody did receive Christ. But I think it was a lot of spinning of wheels and a lot of, a lot of money spent and thus a lot of wasted effort because it really wasn't a work of God. It was a work of the flesh, trying to do God's work in a fleshly manner. And that's the way the church has done it. It's just settled into, as my brother Boyd says, uh, the denomination that he used to be a part of starts with a B. Um, they, you know, they had a manual for everything, how to have a revival, you know, how to have Sunday night church, how to have this, how to have that. So if you wanted to be you know, popular in your denomination as a pastor, you'd run everything in your church according to the manual that they sent you. And you, you, all your Sunday school class would go according to the Sunday school quarterly that they sent and so on and so forth. Um, it just felt like that man could do it so much better than trusting, just trusting the Spirit to do it. And it's, it's become that way in a lot of places. Um, but that's a false way. And it's a good thing that we use those false ways because after you find out they don't work, then you're free to throw them out. And that's what God allows them for. And that's what He, he, he puts them out there for you. He, you know, He purposes those things so that we'll, be, we'll find futility there. And, we'll, and eventually, we come to the end of all that and we say, Gosh darn it, there's nobody that can do this but God. And He goes... Hot dog, that's what I've been waiting to hear. I'm the only one that can do this. It's my life that's being expressed, and I'm the only one that can express my life. You can't imitate my life. You can't fake my life. It, it, it has nothing to do with what kind of clothes you wear, or what you know, how you do this, or how you do that. You may think that just by following certain rules and legalities, you're becoming a holy person. But no, you're not. The best you can get out of that is to be a Pharisee in a whitewashed sepulchre. You can look good on the outside and look holy and righteous on the outside. But that kind of holiness 
makes you look down your nose at the people who, who aren't like you. Makes you think that you're better than other people. You know, you're a, you know those those harlots and those scribes, those those publicans and sinners. We don't have anything to do with them. We don't let those kind of people here. But Jesus was a friend of those people. He went in and he even told the scribes and Pharisees, those people are going to go into the kingdom before you do. Because when I came to them, they loved me. And I come to you and you don't love me. You reject me. So we, you know, this what is happening, I think, in the church right now is this whole sweeping change of things. And I think we saw through the through the seventies in the major denomination in the major denominations this great big giant charismatic revival and Pentecostal revival that, that sort of swept not only the United States but swept all over the world. And uh, we're still seeing repercussions of that, but it's also on the way. And I think what is rising now in our time, and we've been plugging away at it for years, but we're not the only ones by, by any means, is this, uh, this truth that Christ Himself is the life. Christ Himself will do it, and He will do it in you. And the way that you make you, you hook into that is you quit doing anything of yourself. And you don't know how to do that. Only God knows how to do that. Only God knows how to live His own life. But He'll live it in you and all you have to do is say, Lord, You've got me. I can't do this, but You can. And not only can You, I know You will. Because faith is more than just saying God can. Anybody knows God can. Faith is saying God will. And He's going to do it in me. Paul didn't say God is mighty. He said God is mighty in me. And I used to think he was bragging when he said that. And he was. He was bragging on the Lord God. He was not bragging on himself. But I didn't see the difference when I first read that. As, as Pastor Theory was saying earlier, um, we, we're used to seeing through the eyes of the flesh. And the eyes of the flesh see separation and independence and trying to be like God. Like Lucifer in Isaiah chapter 14, I will be like God. Nobody can be like God. Nobody. Only God can be God. I don't care how holy you act, holy you dress. You can't imitate Him. You can't fake Him. You can only be Him when He's in you to be Himself. So that's why we go around the country and share. And you all know this, but this is, you know, I think every one of you has been here before when we've spoken, and I know Pastor Theory uh, teaches this. So we had a great time the last uh, four, two days in um, in, in Melbourne, kind of delving into these things. We started off with um, what I always. Um, called the three stages of the Christian life. The first stage is, uh, and this is encapsulated in Paul's uh, word where he says, not as though I'm sufficient of myself to think anything is of myself. And that's the first stage in our Christian life where God brings us into His kingdom. And the first thing we think is, I'm going to act holy, I'm going to act righteous, I'm going to quit this, I'm going to quit that, I'm not going to do this anymore. As my pastor used to say, we don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't go with girls that do, and I'm going to, that's, that's going to be my new life. And, uh, and uh, you know, so, so I'm, going to, I'm going to act like a Christian now. But you can't act like... You know, when I, when I was kids, we used to have a, you, you know, we'd say, we used to say, tin light. Tin, let's tin light with pirates. Let's tin light with cowboys. Pretend light, you know. 
And so we are tending like we're cowboys or tending like we're in the army or tending like we're firemen or whatever we try to play like. And that's okay for kids. Well, that's how kids learn. Because kids are supposed to play. But when you grow up, you don't tend like anymore. You've got to be who you are. And Jesus wants you to be who you are. He wants you to be yourself. Now, I've heard a lot of people get scared when we say that. Be myself. Well, what do you think you're going to do if you be yourself? You think you're going to run out and, and rape women and, and rob banks and murder people? No, God lives in you. You're a new person, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Those things don't enter our minds anymore. That's not who we are. So we don't have to worry about that, that we're going we're gonna, to um, run amok if we let go of these restraints we try to hold on ourselves. Because who holds us and who lifts us up and who motivates the inner life that we are, motivates us from within so that it flows outward from us, is the living God who's come to dwell in us. It's His house. As it says in Hebrews, we are His house. That's a pretty big thing, a pretty big deal to be the house of the Lord. How you doing, Pastor Ruth? It's really, it, 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 what, a, what a privilege, what an honor. And so you, you know, I said be yourself. You know why I said be yourself? Because God, before anything, likes honesty. He don't like you to come in and pretend like you're, because he knows. You know, I can remember a preacher in church way back a long time ago. We we do a lot of praising and singing and and raising our hands, and the and the preacher would go, "Come on, let God hear you. Show him you mean it." And I'm, I started thinking, well, doesn't he already know? I mean, if I don't mean it, he knows it. And if I do mean it, he knows it. So it's just, if I yell louder, that's not going to impress him. Or if I do it softly in a real calm manner, that's not going to be, that's not going to offend him, because he, you know, because he's looking for his own life, not a fake, you know, not a fake thing, but something we work up like a pep rally for a football team. You know, that's we're not on Jesus' football team, and and you know we got to have some some cheerleader come up and say, y'all yeah, that's what they used to do in my high school. The cheerleaders would go, y'all yeah, y'all yeah. So we'd have to yell louder. And we, you know, I was proud to yell for the football team. But this isn't the same thing. This is not the world. This is, this is the, the living God living in His people. And He's pleased with us because His Son lives in us. And when He sees us, He sees His Son. And I know people think that's a cliche and that's kind of a... Kind of a uh, maybe that's glossing over something and you think, well, surely He sees all these warts I've got. Surely He sees all my failures and my inadequacies and my weaknesses and the things I hide from other people. And yes, of course He does. But what he sees through that, he sees through that outer shell that you are, that you you seem to be, in a, and I'm, I'm with you, you know, there, we look at our humanity, and if we just look at our humanity alone, we, we think, well, I don't measure up. Just like the children of Israel, when they went into the promised land the first time, the ten spies. You know, they went 12 spies and 10 of them said, we, we saw the great walled cities and there were giants in the land and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. Well, why did they think that? Was it because it was not true? It was true. They were. They looked, they, compared to the people in the land, they were smaller. They did have great walled cities. But they focused on themselves and they found themselves lacking. And you always will when your life is self-focused. 
a self-focused life will either produce one of two things. It'll produce pride because somehow you think you've knocked it because you read your Bible, you pray, you attend church, you witness, you don't participate in this, you don't participate in that, and you think because of that you're holy. Or the opposite, I've had people who have come to me and, and cannot believe God would forgive them. No matter what you tell them, you know, they've done something. Um, and it may not be a really bad thing in my mind, but in their eyes it's just, it's just a failure, it's a failure, it's a failure. And they look at themselves and they just can't get beyond the fact that they've done this and how can God ever forgive me for this? Both are false, both are wrong, because a self-focus is going to produce that. It's always going to produce that. A Christ-focus, which simply means take our eyes off ourselves and look at Him. And then we do this by faith. It's not something you do by effort. We used to have a, a song that we used to sing, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face. And, and, and I love the song and it's a great concept. But the, the way that our minds thought about it at the time, it was like something physical that we did and we were kind of trying to image Jesus in our minds and if we could just look at this image of Jesus and see Him, everything would be okay. All that really means is when I say not having a self-focus but having a Christ-focus is to realize that first of all Christ loves you. He doesn't live way up there. He lives in here. And when you have a Christ-focus, you're looking at Christ in you and you're you're realizing things like faithful He is He who calls you who also will do it. He's promised He not only calls you, He fulfills His calling in you. It's just like when Abraham and Isaac were walking up the mountain of Moriah when Abraham was commanded to kill Isaac. And Isaac turns to Abraham and he says, My father, where's the lamb for the offering? And Abraham says, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. And I thought about that and I realized what he was saying. He's the lamb that he provides. So, even if He sends us into the valley of the shadow of death, He goes with us. Not only does He go with us, He goes in us. And He goes through us. And He goes at us. He takes it. He, if there's if a death coming our way, He takes it into Himself. He swallows everything up into life and He does it inside us. It's not something that we have to do. And I've learned this over and over and over and over again. And God has put me in situations that are... Tough situations. It's not crazy according to the flesh. You know, life has problems. Life has situations. I got kids. I got adult children. They've got kids. That's a whole ball of wax right there. You know, I have bills. We've all got bills. There's, you know, we got a country that has has a lot of problems and a lot of disagreement in our country. I've never seen our country as divided in my lifetime as it seems to be right now. And I don't like that. I don't like that division. I don't like that hatred between the, the two sides. You know, each side hating the other. Um, I don't like that. But that's in the world. I know God's got that in His hand. But in my own personal life, as God has walked me through each thing, everything testifies that He comes through. Everything testifies that He raises life out of death. Everything testifies that stand still and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. 
It doesn't have anything to do with whether outer circumstances change because the resurrection happens inside you. Because when faith wells up, faith itself is the only evidence of, of, of the truth of God. Just like that Hebrews word says. If, you know, and I know y'all heard this probably ad nauseum about faith is substance and faith is essence. But, the, but a lot of times that's used because we're trying to get stuff. We're trying to rip crap stuff out of the Lord. Give me something. And if I do these certain techniques right, if I, you know, do these different things, then God's going to bless me and pour out, pour out blessings from heaven. I won't, I'll have to get a new house because I won't be able to contain all the stuff God's going to give me. going to give me a big car. going to give me a swimming pool. going to give me a lot of money. Well, that's not the kind of blessing he's talking about. I mean, that, that can be. It can be what God gives us. But that's not what we see. We see Him. We see the living God. But where we find Him is not up there, over there, not low here, low there. So the kingdom of God is within you. And when you begin to realize that the Christ focus is saying, Oh, I live yet not I, but you live in my life. It's you expressing in my life. It's you that's manifesting in my mortal flesh. You know, people yell at me, are so afraid of the flesh. Flesh this, flesh that. Jesus certainly wasn't afraid of the flesh. And Paul said that, that Jesus Christ was manifest in his mortal flesh. Once he learned what the flesh was, you know, he had to go through a little, 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 little education from the Spirit on that. But it, you know, it's wrong that it, 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 there comes a place when, in Christ that you come to that God brings you to, and that place is where you realize that this war that you might have been in for a time when you thought that you were battling in yourself between good and evil, between the flesh and the spirit, there's a time that that war is won and you realize the war is won. And the way the war is won is that the spirit, when it says in Romans 8, 2, that the law of the spirit of life has set me free in Christ Jesus, has set me free from the law of sin and death, you re- you re- and you realize this is a done deal. I'm no longer bound to the law of sin and death. And that's the law that says I have to sin. The law that says I have to, I I, I constantly fall short. The law that says I have to try more, be more, get more, act like Jesus more, come to church more, whatever, whatever, however it affects you. The law of sin and death is the law of self-focus. You know, that's what it means in Romans 7, it says, or or in in Romans 8, the mindset on the spirit and the mindset on the flesh. The mindset on the spirit is saying, God will come through and and does come through my life. He expresses by faith. I say, He expresses Himself in me and through me and as me. But the law of the flesh, the, uh, the, the mindset on the flesh is the mind that's self-focused that, 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 and it's trying to fight and trying to attain. The law that when I would do good, Paul says in Romans 7, I find in the law that evil is present with me. Now the law the evil is, is, is in the I would. The evil is in the I would do it. I would do it myself. It's a separate, uh, an I that's trying to attain. And Paul has to come to the end of himself by the end of that chapter. 
Because that's not a continual thing. Romans 7 is a process he went through. And you never hear him mention it again. I know people have based old doctrines and whole denominations on this idea that we never do what we're supposed to do and we always don't do what we're not supposed to do. I grew up in an Episcopalian. And in the Episcopal Church, when you, when you have communion, every time you have communion, you pray this prayer, part of which says, we do those things we ought not to have done, and we've done those, we've, we've done those things we ought not to have done, and we've not done those things which we should have done. And so you're there confessing sin you may or may not have committed. It's just sort of a given that that's who you are after your life. And you've just given up right there, stayed right there in Romans 7, and that's, that's what life is going to be. And a lot of Christians just accept that because they're taught that. That you're going to make a mistake every day, you're going to fail, and just accept that fact, but grace is that God just sort of overlooks it and loves you anyway. You know, He knows we're weak, He knows we're frail. But that's not where Paul left it. Paul went to Romans 8. And Romans 8 says the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has, not will or ought to, has set me free from the law of sin and death. It's like the law of aerodynamics overcomes the law of gravity. When you get in an airplane, a heavy object like an airplane cannot fly unless it is is acted upon by a different law that overcomes the law of gravity and sets you free from the law of gravity. And and through the the forward force of the the airplane with the wings and and the air going on it, it causes a lift to happen. And it overcomes and it causes the law of gravity to be null and void up to a point. Well, in Christ Jesus, that's what happens with us. When you come into the law, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which is just simply Christ in you, living in you. That's all it is. It's no big deal. It's not complicated. It's just the living person of Christ living in us. Because we're not talking a theology or a teaching. We're talking about a person. And when you realize that this person lives in you, and he overcomes by means, he overcomes in you, and he overcomes as you, and he walks around in the world in victory in you, then you realize that there's no more struggle with this old thing that you used to struggle with. Then Then the flesh begins to manifest who you are. Paul says, I bear about in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in my mortal flesh. So that very thing that Paul battled against and thought, I can't overcome this, it's too powerful. Once he is in the right focus, he hits the right gear. And the right gear is this mindset on the Spirit, which is simply saying, Christ, you're in me. You're in me to will and to do of your good pleasure. And so as I'm walking in my life and working out my salvation with fear and trembling, it is you who's working in me to will it and to do it and cause it to happen. And, and it becomes, life becomes much, it, it comes out of rest. It becomes rest from within instead of strength. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I'm going to tell you, there was a long time there, I didn't think that was true. I thought, Lord, that's, I don't think that's true. You shouldn't have put that in there. This is a heavy burden. And this is not an easy yoke. It's like pulling a 
50,000 pound weight or trying to push it uphill. You know, this, I can't do it. So how come you said that? But when you realize what He does, He comes inside us and He does it for us. And then after a while, you realize that you're doing it and you don't even realize how it happened. The kingdom of God just grows up in you. You know how it says in Mark chapter 4 that the kingdom of heaven is as if a man should cast seed into the ground. And, he, and it comes up. First the stalk, then the blade, then the ear. The full corn in the ear. And the man keeps going back and he sees it's growing. And he does, and I love this, he says, and he knoweth not how. And that's what, that's what I realized had happened to me one day. I'd struggled and I'd striven and I'd tried. And then I kind of gave up and I said, oh Lord, you do it. And then one day, and, then, and, then, and I took that by faith, but I didn't see any evidence. Somehow, one day, I just realized, Lord, you've grown up in me and you've become like a tree planted by the water that gives shade to everybody else. You've caused this thing to grow. You've caused this thing to come into manifestation. You've caused this tree to come into fruition. And I don't know how you did it. Because I didn't do it. I'm the least of men, as Paul said. I know, I more than anybody know my limitations and my frailties and my weaknesses. I know them. I'm intimately acquainted with them. The Lord said, look, I don't need you to worry about that. That's not your problem. It's my problem, and I say I'll overcome it by my presence in you. And now you just don't call me a liar and tell me that the law of sin and death is more powerful than the law of spirit and life in Christ Jesus. And that you, that you, even though Romans 6 says, how shall we who are dead to sin feel any more indebtedness to it? Why do you still feel like it's a draw and it's going to get you if you don't hold on at every moment and resist and, and, you know, do all those things that you do to try to keep yourself? You don't keep yourself. He keeps you. He that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's always on the job, 100% of the time, every moment of every day, keeping you. Isaiah 42, Behold my servant whom I uphold. Be a part of that because you are. The, the Messiah lives in you. And that it was written of Him, but now it's written of us because He lives in us. And what applies to Him applies to us. We're the servant whom He upholds. I put my trust in the Lord God who leads me and guides me and takes me across. He may take me across the wilderness, but if He does, I'm going to be led by a fiery pillar at night and a cloudy pillar by day, and I'm going to be fed, and I'm going to get water when I need it, and my shoes aren't going to wear out. I may have to drive from Pensacola, but the Lord's going to get me here. You know, I had obstacles. I always do. Every time we make one of these trips, there's all kind of obstacles before it happens. And I used to get, ooh, oh no, oh no, there's obstacles. Now I just, I'm used to it. It's like, ah, ha, obstacles. I'm going. I know I'm going. You know, it doesn't look like I'm going, but I know I'm going. You know, it's like this, this very morning I woke up, I left Friday uh, from home. And I had to leave my wife home because she was sick. And I didn't want to, and I didn't want to leave her, and I didn't want to go by myself. This is really the first time I've been on one of these little trips by myself. So I wondered, can I do this, Lord? And the Lord sent me anyway. But the first thing that happened when I woke up Friday morning, and I was, that was the morning I, I had said I was leaving, was the first thought that came into my head was, I can't go. 
I got this, and I got this, and I got to do this. I need to take care of this. The problems and the responsibilities of home and family never cease. But the Lord said, Go. I'll get you there. I'll take care of all this. I'll take care of your family. You go do my business, I'll take care of yours. So that's what I did. I got in the car and I left. And it's been a glorious trip. It's just been one of the best trips I've ever had. We've had wonderful turnout wherever we've been. And we've had wonderful um, blessings. People bless me. God uses me to bless them. It's a reciprocal kind of thing. And it's just been great. But it it came out of conflict in the beginning. It came out of turmoil. But God swallowed all that up and brought life out of it. See, you can, Paul says, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. You know what he committed unto him? His life. The totality of his life. He said, I've suffered the loss of all things, even, it's not in there, but all things would include even himself. You know, if Paul could not say for you, you're dead, and your life is hit with Christ and God, he didn't learn that in the book, in the, in the, in the systematic theology book up in um, Tarsus. You know, it was, he learned it because that's what the, the, the experience of life that God took him through. He didn't learn that, he, that when you die, when Christ died, he died by being taught in his Sunday school. He learned it because it, he, it was a reality that, that he went through in Christ. And so when he began to share it with others, he was talking about what he had seen and heard and experienced for himself. You know, John, in the first, in the first letter of John, the first epistle, he says, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, for our hands have handled, and we have touched. Uh, we've, you know, we've seen, we've touched him. Uh, John laid his, head on, laid his head on his breast. He said, of the word of life, we've handled it. And he says, and now we show, he uses the word, and now we show unto you that eternal life. And when I, that word caught me one day, and I thought, well, how, does, how is John showing them that life? Because now that life that he knew in Jesus, who no longer was physically with him, now that life was showing up in him. So he said, look, I'm the life now. I'm telling you what I've seen and heard. The reason I can speak with authority is I've walked through this. This is what happened. It's a reality. Not because I've, I've learned in a seminary. It's a reality because God taught it to me through the hard knocks of life. That He upholds me. He redeems me. He, he leads me. He guides me. And not only that, He, he has come in to take away the old, the death of the old, and, and reveal Him my own life in Him so that I walk out now and I'm comfortable in my own skin. You know, I used to not be. I used to not be comfortable in myself. I mean, I can't elaborate too much on that, but now I am. I'm comfortable being me. I'm happy being me. Why? Because I'm so great? No, because He's so great. He's desired that by His will, He would come and live in me and make me His house and express His glory in me. And when I say in me, I'm talking about all of us. Because you know what Paul says, 
I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He's not saying, he says it in first person. The reason he says it in first person is because it's the reality that God, God taught him by walking him through it. And he can say it with authority because it's, it's his truth. It's his living truth. It's his living reality. He's telling the truth. But wait, the reason he says it in first person is not because to make it exclusive unto him, but because he shares it so that it might become your living truth as well. You take it unto yourself by faith. You say, well, Paul's no different from me. He was a man just like me. There's no difference in, you know, Paul was some kind of special, holier person than any of us here in this room. But God chose him to do a certain task, and God moved in him to do that task, and now he's chosen choosing you. God's reaching out and choosing you. And the same thing that Paul said you can say. God teaches you. If you don't know it, ask God to teach it to you, because he's the teacher. He does use human agencies, but it's all confirmed in science. You know, I go all over the place, and people tell me their life, they tell me their truth, and it so incredibly mirrors mine, that that's what confirms in me, in a way, because I meet Christians that have never heard what I've said, and yet they have experienced the same thing I've experienced. So, so you know the living God is doing this everywhere. And it's not that they read it in a book. It's something that has become their living truth. So that I see that which I have seen and heard. And that's, that's what we all do. That's what a witness is. A witness isn't something that knows the four spiritual laws and can open a track and read them. A witness is somebody that's seen and heard something and you're testifying what you've seen and heard. I've seen the living God. I've seen His works. I've seen Him uphold me. I was down, and He lifted me up. I was in, I was in trouble, and I was, in, in, you know, I was naming. And He comes, and He comes to rest. You stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. So I don't know how we think we can fake that. I don't know how we think we can develop programs that, that can make that happen. Or that we can have, you know, 14 techniques and, and principles that we apply. And that's going to make revival come down. Like it's taught so many places. You can't. Living God does what He pleases. We need to hook into His program, not get Him to hook into ours. Well, that's just to pump it up here a little bit. Because I know Brother Pastor Theory wants us to, to chat and y'all to ask questions. So I'll just stop my little, you know, my little exhortation here right now. And uh, uh, I encourage you, please, if you, if you have a question or you want to testify yourself and say how this, you know, what, what, what Christ's life is to you, please feel free because that's what I'm here for. Yeah, brother, uh, we see Paul on the mountain top in chapter 6 of Romans. Chapter 7, we see him in the van. Uh-huh. And so was that, was that an experience with Paul himself, or he was just teaching the Roman church that uh, he really went through that and the experience? In the oh, 
I believe he's teaching what he went through. In, in chapter 7. Yeah. I think, I think where people have made a mistake, they've made chapter 7 to be something continuous. Whereas really, it, where, uh, where it really, the real truth of it, as far as I see it, is that it was something that he experienced. And he came, he came to, a, to a, a waterloo. You know, he came to a place where it was a total change in his life. Once he gets into Romans 8, he never talks that talk again. That talk about, I don't do what I'm supposed to do, and I do, don't do the things I'm not supposed to do. He doesn't say that anymore. He's, 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 on, he's, he's overcome that. Because, not that he's overcome it, but God has overcome it through him and in it. And brought him into a, another place. Because he was under, because of the, I, he was, this is what Paul taught us, I believe, was that, um, he was in this consciousness, this this uh, way of thinking, and this is what the mindset on the flesh is: is that is that I can do it. All I got to do is apply. The, I got to read the scriptures and apply what they say and obey. If I do that, then I'll be on top of everything. It's kind of like what Jesus. Well, it's exactly like you know. There are a lot of things in Jesus's teaching that parallel what Paul said, but they're in different words and terminologies, and Jesus used a lot of pictures and parables, and Paul just speaks conceptually a lot. And But Jesus said you can't put new wine into old wine skins. Well, see, that's the same concept. The concept that here I am, I come into Christ, and, it, and, and I'm, I'm really coming out of a world mentality. And the world mentality that we all inherited from the garden is that we can be wise as God through discerning good and evil and applying what we know. And that we can, and you sit throughout the Old Testament, Tower of Babel. You know, here's men getting together, and they're going to build a great tower to reach unto God. Well, we know what happened, because it, it just, it's just impossible. It can't happen. Man cannot reach to God. God must reach to man. God must come to man. That's why Jesus came to us. He doesn't stay, stay up, way up in some apart off heaven and say, Well, come on. Y'all make, you know, try harder. Let's make a little more effort. You know, I'm 18 billion miles away, and maybe one day y'all will build a spaceship that can get here. That's not like that. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He came out of love. Before there was a sinner to redeem or forgive, there was a lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. And He, yet, and he sits yet in the midst of the throne. It says in Revelation, He's there. At the heart of God is the slain lamb. So the heart of God is, is this lamb that gives its life for others. And that's what He's bringing us to. Because you see, growing up, it means it's no longer about me getting fixed. It's not about me. That's for babies. That's for kids. Kids are, you know, you grow up as a child and as a young man, that's you getting your education and that's you getting fixed, fixed for, your, for the things in life. And then once humanly, speaking in the natural, once you finish your education or your schooling, uh, then you're supposed to move out into your life and you become, you know, like most of us become parents. And so the focus then is no longer on us and getting ourselves fixed, except unless we made a, might want some training for a new job or something like that. But the focus is now outward from us and not on us. And it's about the kids and about extending their lives and benefiting them and getting them out in the world and getting them set up. And then the process goes on with them. 
But as long as you're a kid, it's about you. Well, spiritually, it's the same way. People that are constantly worried about whether they're sinning, people are constantly worried about whether they're holy enough or righteous enough, whether they're close enough to God, that's baby talk. He says you're complete and entire wanting nothing, needing nothing. Get over it. You know, get on with it. Grow up. Be an adult. An adult has no self-focus. An adult's focus is outward toward others. I'm about others now. It doesn't mean that you don't still grow. It doesn't mean that you still don't learn things and God doesn't still do this and that in your life. It just means that's not primary anymore. It's not what you're about. It means that He's... You know, the psalmist says, Oh God, my heart is fixed. There comes a time when you're fixed in Him and you realize that you are and it's no longer about, Oh Lord, the, the sin problem is dealt with. You dealt with it 2,000 years ago and we're not going to deal with this anymore because you... It says, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. End of story. Well then, of course, the next question is, well then how do you walk in the flesh? I don't know. The Father that dwells in me, He does. I don't know any techniques for walking in the Spirit. There's not any. There's no right way to hold your mouth. There's no certain amount of prayer you have to have. No certain amount of Bible knowledge you have to have. How many scriptures you've got memorized. How many times you attend church. How many times you witness. None of that causes you to walk in the Spirit. God causes you to walk in the Spirit. And He does it. And we just hook in by faith and say, Okay, Lord, You do it. And when you, t- when you say, I walk in the Spirit, then I'm not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Because You said it. I believe You, Lord. You provide for all my needs. My God supplies all my needs through Christ Jesus. We're still thinking, oh, that means, you know, that means the money's coming. That means this is coming. That means that is coming. He is the supplier of the need. He is the total supply Himself. He's the source out of which all things come. Don't be looking for things. Look for Him. Things will come as, out of Him as, as they need to be. You know, great is thy faithfulness. What a wonderful song. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh, Lord. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Even when I've been lacking, even when I've been hungry, even when I've been foreclosed on, even when the landlord tells me I'm going to have to move because I can't pay the rent. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. We have faith in the Lord God and not in the circumstances of life. We forget in the Sermon on the Mount it says that the rains are going to come and they're going to come on the just and the unjust. Remember the two houses built, one built on the sand, one built on the rock. And we are all focused on the fact that we've got the rock but we forget the fact that the rains come and the, and the floods come and it beats on that house. Sometimes bad stuff happens. doesn't mean you've gone outside the will of God. Get over that. That's Old Testament stuff. That's not right. That's blessings and curses. That's the law. We're, in, we're not of that anymore. We're walking according to the grace and life and love of God. And so we, whether we're having bad circumstances or good circumstances, we're still praising God. And in everything giving thanks, as Paul said. In everything give thanks. Means if they don't give me the loan, I give thanks. If they give me the loan, I give thanks. Because it's the living God with whom we have to do and we begin to trust and rely on Him for everything. And we realize that everything He does is perfect. And if I've come into Him, then everything He does is perfect. Don't listen to people.
people who say if such and such happens, you're not in the will of God. Don't pay attention to those people. You trust in the Lord. And He says He has you and He's, he's taking care of you. Trust Him to do that. Remember the children of, of Israel in Babylon? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stoned in that furnace. It's interesting what they said. They said, our God is going to deliver us. But if He doesn't, we're still going to pray. We're still going to believe. Nebuchadnezzar looks in there and he said, didn't we just throw three guys in there? There's four of them. One of them looks like the Son of God. And out they came and they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. Now I tell you what, they would have just—they would have been just as—it would have been just as glorious and just as uh, worthy of praise if they'd gone in there and burned up because they'd be up in the throne of God where the martyrs are. But God designed, you know, had, had a different purpose for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So we live according to the purpose of God, whether we live or whether we die, it's to the Lord. Whether we suffer need or suffer lack, Paul said. He said, I've learned to be content in all things. Well, that's hard to do. Joseph, look at what happened to Joseph. I bet you Joseph really thought he was going to get out the next day when the butler went back to the to the to the Pharaoh. And he said, you know, don't forget to put in a good word with me with Pharaoh when you get back. I bet he thought, oh boy, I'm going to get out of here finally. And he did. It was two more years. And yet Joseph, that's where Joseph learned who he was. And where he learned where his his salvation came from. And you don't trust the arm of man. Because the arm of man will fail you. It can't save you. It can't lift you up. You trust only in the living God. And on the day that you need it, or the day He decides, He'll lift you up. And in a moment, in a, in a day, Jacob or, or Joseph went from living in a dungeon, and, and there's no telling how awful that was. Because, you know, those old dungeons way back then, they, you know, jail's not nice now. But it really wasn't nice in those days. And they didn't have facilities. You know, it was it was nasty. And they said that, you know, before they brought him into Pharaoh, they cleaned him up. Not sure, because they didn't want Pharaoh to smell it. But in a day, he went from prison to the second in command in, in Egypt. God did that. So we just trust him. We trust that no matter what, he, he is leading us and guiding us. And He's leading us to where He wants us to be. We're perfect and entire, needing nothing, it says in the Scripture. You're complete in Him, it says in Colossians. Paul says that we might present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Get, a, get over the, the human idea of perfection. It doesn't mean anything. God has no... He, he doesn't care what human beings think perfection is. He calls you perfect. Get start called calling yourself what God calls you instead of what mankind, you know, man thinks. And let them laugh. Let them be like they said to Jesus. You know, Jesus, in the, in when he when he confessed who he was in Nazareth, at, in the synagogue, he says, you know, I'm standing up here and I'm saying today that this scripture, which you all know is the Messiah scripture, is fulfilled right now in your ears. And you know, we all have this idea that Jesus was this really good guy, this really holy guy, this really pious man. 
And if that's really what he was, and if he was like, and he really stood apart from others, don't you think somebody in that synagogue would have said, I knew that Jesus was going to be the Messiah one day. I knew he was going to grow up to be the Messiah. No, they got mad because he was just like them. And they didn't think somebody that was just like them could be the Messiah. And now the Messiah lives in you. Christ lives in you. And you stand up and say, well, you know what? Jesus Christ lives in me. He expresses His life by means of me. And when I walk around talking, it's Him walking around talking. And people will say the same thing to you that those people said to Jesus in the synagogue of Nazareth. They'll say, that can't be. You're just like us. You're the carpenter's son. I know you. Well, there you go, Pastor Blue. <laughs> um, I found that after, um, you know, people hearing uh, the abiding life, we're talking about Christ and you, the Holy Spirit, I found that even after coming to the realization that it is Christ in me, I found that many believers still at some point in time, I'm not talking about going reliving Romans 7, see, because in Romans 7, Paul was ignorant of what was really going on. He had no idea. But now you come into the light of Romans chapter 8 where that now the spirit of, of the liberty of the Christ life has set us free from that bondage. Uh, I found that sometimes believers, because in this case, not to say that it has to happen, but because of the, uh, sometimes the overwhelming pressures of life, in this case, they, as you were talking about, self-focus, instead where that they saw the liberty in Christ, looking to Jesus, and then they were set free from the law of, you know, of sin and death. And somehow in the presence of life, many oftentimes, in this case, shift focus away from uh, Christ again to themselves. And the difference here is that before they were ignorant, and now it may not be uh, the, a lifelong month, years of this a wilderness journey, but maybe sometime an hour, 15 minutes, a day, a week, and then the realization come back. I'm, uh, as you were saying, I am, uh, it's Christ living in me now. Mm-hmm. So I find that many do uh, go through struggles, but not like it did in Romans 7. The yeah. difference there, because yeah. as I said, that was a, that was a struggle in ignorance. Yeah. Now, it just might be just, uh, all of a sudden, just distracted for a moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and that's not I'm struggling all the 
I think you're right. I mean, I found that to be so... I mean, that's really the nature of temptation. And temptation doesn't stop. I mean, the last night before the crucifixion, it should be a... You know, we should see what happened to Jesus. He's there tempted in the garden to not go through with this thing. And it's exactly... The, tempta- the temptation is always to forget who you are. Absolutely. You know, and, and that and temptation came to Jesus. And it pulled on Him so hard that He sweat blood. Um, you know, when he says the entire time of his ministry, Jesus is saying, I've got one will and one purpose. I do the will of the Father, and my purpose is to go to Jerusalem and to be killed by, you know, killed there and go through the, the, the cross. And he knew that from the beginning. He had a big conference on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah to talk about that. There was no, no. It was, it was clearly understood by him what the will of the Father was. He knew what it was. And yet here he is in the Garden of Gethsemane being pulled out of himself to think he's got a separate will. Well, he doesn't have a separate will. That's a falsehood. That's a lie. People want to point out, well, that's, that's free will. Free will. If you want free will, go ahead and have it. I, have, I, I want to hook my will up with God and say his, his will is my will. The freedom of my will is to live in His will. And so, and so, you know, people always point, when I say you walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh, and people always bring that up. Say, well, we've got free will, and that sounds like you want an excuse to go sin, if you ask me. <laughs> well, I've got free will, so I can go sin anytime I want. Yeah, if you want. But you see, another one lives in us, and those are no longer our desires. That's not who we are. And so if a voice is saying to you, that's what you want, it's not the right voice. Because you want the will of the Father. And so that's what Jesus was pulled out, you know, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, to think of not not live out of His union with the Father, which He knew. You know, I and my Father are one. I always do those things that are pleasing to Him. The Father that dwells in me, He does the works. When you see me, you see the Father. Everything Jesus spoke about was He was one with the Father, and what He did was what the Father was doing. But I, I see what I, I do, what I see the Father doing. And of course, we know that He didn't look up in heaven to see the Father going down and spitting on mud and making mud and then putting it in its eyes. It's another kind of sight that He's talking about. It wasn't like He had a tall movie. Uh, it's just that it's just that the Father lived with Him, and He knew that this whatever He was compelled to do, it was the, it was the compulsion of the Father, the unction of the Holy Spirit, moving Him and guiding Him and moving Him here, moving Him there, because He trusted himself in the Father, that the Father was upholding him and leading in him and guiding him through the Spirit. So he knew that. And yet he got pulled out. He got pulled out at that, at that garden of Gethsemane, um, you know, to, to almost not go through with the whole thing. I don't know what would have happened if he'd have done it. Not done it. Not, I was thinking about that the other night. Maybe the universe would have just broken. I don't know. <laughs> what you were saying about the separate will, that's what makes it sin because it's a separate Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what we have to come to realize as we, in this case, the highest privilege that we have is to, in this case, to choose to be who we were created to be, that is, to be one with Him. Mm-hmm. And anything separate from Him is sin. Absolutely. And so what we think sin is the deed to do what the dog do, but sin is anything, and I, I use it as a, a, a definition, sin is 
Uh-huh. So it could that includes all the good from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Absolutely. As well as all the bad from yeah. the tree. Uh-huh. So what, we, Same tree. We don't see that. We all that we see this life that I have dedicated and commissioned to doing what I would call good. So it's not necessarily what I do. We may be doing the same thing, but I'm maybe in sin, you may not be in right. sin. So, you know, that to me, that takes care of the question. Do you, can men choose? Yes, they can. But you sure. can choose to walk in the, in, in the Spirit simply by saying, the Lord, your life is in me and you caused me to walk in the Spirit. As it says in Ezekiel 36, He will cause us to walk in His ways, it says. And, you know, you, you kind of think, well, that's kind of like the old Saturday Night Live thing, the church lady. You know, if you all remember back in the late 80s, Danny Carvey, and he'd, he'd do, if you all watch TV, but I do. But, uh, you know, the church lady would come on and she'd go, hmm, it must be the devil. The devil made you do it, huh? And, and that sounds like a cop out. But when you're, but when you're, but when you're in a separate will from the Father, guess who runs the show? He runs the show of the separate will. So you're doing His lust. That's what Jesus said in John 8:44. 4 4. Well, you're of your father the devil. It's His lust that you do. It's not even your own lust. He's the one that's driving this thing because He's the King of separation. It's a false kingdom. It's a lie. And one day it's going to fall and be no more. But right now it's out there because it it sifts the sons of God. It's part of the process to bring out the manifestation of the sons of God. So, so and, and that can only happen. We can only come to consciousness through knowing opposites. It's kind of like being if you're out in a snowstorm and everything is white and there's no distinction in anything. You can't tell landmarks. You can't tell one direction from another. You can't if a polar bear walks up, you won't see it because it's solid white. You know. And so I've been in I've been in a uh, up, up near the Lake Erie when in a in a blizzard in what they call Lake Effect snow, where where you can't see anything. Everything is just solid white snow coming down. And there's, you can't see the road. You can't see the side of the road. You can't see the cars in front of you or in back of you. It's just all solid white because there's no contrast anywhere. So in order for this manifestation to happen, in order for us to come to consciousness, there has to be contrast. You can't know darkness. You can't know light without darkness. You can't know joy without sorrow. You can't know victory without defeat. I mean, it's just that's why we go through these things so that we come to consciousness. And we come to consciousness as the sons of God who are, who are not ignorant of the ways of God. You see, children know the, the, the things God does and they're always wanting God to do stuff for them. That's what Moses said, or, or the psalmist said. He said, the children of Israel knew the acts of God. Moses knew His ways. And so when you come to maturity, you begin to know the ways of God. And that's why I said there were these obstacles before I made this trip and I've learned that all that, that happens all the time. And now I've learned, just like you were saying, it's not an ignorance anymore. I used to be like the apostles when the storms would come and go, Oh Lord, the storms are coming! The storms are coming! We're going to perish! The boat's going to capsize! Jesus 
to me while asleep in the back of the boat. He could care less. He's not concerned about a thing. You have to wake him up. Hey, Lord, wake up, wake up. We're going to perish. Oh, what? We're going to perish. We're going to perish. Oh, why are you so fearful, you little thing? Be, be still. I've got this thing covered. Don't worry about it. And after that happens enough times, you, give it, you begin to see, oh yeah, storms are going to come. But oh yeah, he's in the back of the boat. He's in the back of my boat. And he, and he rises up in the midst of the storm. And he's peace in the midst of it. And I begin to know that, okay, this is the way it works. This is how it works. Um, the, the darkness always comes before the dawn. You know, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. There may be travail and labor, but there will be joy when the child is brought forth. And so that's just a principle that I've learned that that's how it works. And it's the same God throughout the whole thing. God is loving us and accepting us and leading us and guiding us in the negative as much as the positive. I had this experience a couple of years ago where I was... Uh, Worried about our our situation, our financial situation, and that sort of thing, and whether you know God was going to come through on certain things, and and uh, and I suddenly thought of since Pastor uh, Terry brought up my my hippiness, and I hadn't thought of this I hadn't thought of this incident in uh, well, it's nearly 40 years ago that it happened. But I went to the Atlanta Pop Festival in, um, it was actually not in Atlanta, it was in Byron, Georgia, about 90 miles north of, uh, south of Atlanta, out in the middle of a field and, uh, in the midsummer, as hot as it could be. And I went down there, hitchhiked down there, didn't have any money. I took my guitar and hitchhiked down, down there from Atlanta in the middle of the night, got there, and I stayed four or five days out uh, in, you know, all these, like there were 500,000 hippie people out in, the, out, in the, out, in, out in these fields. And um, like I said, I didn't have any money. I didn't know the Lord then. And uh, I had my guitar and that's all I had. And somehow I ate. Somebody stole my shoes and my guitar while I was there. And I found my guitar. The guy gave it back. And uh, I'm not proud to say I stole somebody else's shoes. And uh, But I figured that he probably went out and stole somebody else's shoes. And finally, it probably got around to somebody that had two shoes. And so maybe everybody went home with a pair of shoes. But I went home with a stolen pair of shoes. And... Uh, so, you know, it's not something to be proud of. And I really hadn't thought of it in years and years and years. But as I'm sitting here meditating on my problems, this, this scenario comes back into my mind. And then the Spirit speaks to me and says, Did you realize that I took care of you then? You had something to eat. You had something to drink. And I brought you back to your home. I don't even remember how I got home. But and I brought you back home. Why, yes, Lord, you did. I didn't realize it then, but yes, Lord, you did take care of me. He says, if I took care of you then, how much more do I take care of you now? You know? So, the Lord is with us. And the Lord is just waiting. You know, before we're born again, He's not apart from us. He's chosen us from before the foundation of the earth. He separated, Paul said, He separated me from my mother's womb. And then, at some certain point, God was pleased to reveal His Son in me, He says. What a glorious thing. Paul fought, you know, we know 
killing the saints. And yet, God has chosen us from before the foundations of the earth. Chosen us, we have chosen in Him. He's created us in good works that He has ordained for us to walk in. And so, you know, He's, he's been ordering my steps from the, from the moment I tumbled out of my mother. He's been ordering my steps and preparing me and preparing me and building me in every experience of my life. Because once I, I realized that every experience of my life had been ordered of the Lord, then I realized it could be used for glory. Even if it was sin. Even if it was, you know... Corruption, whatever. I use it for the benefit of the Lord now. I use it for the benefit of the others. All my experience doesn't belong to me. It belongs to Him. And He's, he's looked back and He said, you know, he, he, he has removed the sin from it. And so I can look back appreciatively at things in my life and say, oh Lord, look what you did. Look what you did. Look how you took care of me. You put me here. I wouldn't have met my wife if I hadn't done this, that, and the other. Just been at this certain spot on a certain day and a certain time that you had ordained. And there she is. And we meet. And here we are nearly 40 years later still married. And that was all an act of God that I had nothing to do with. I didn't make myself go there. You know, I didn't plan all these things. Yeah, we get choices, but they're all—they're always out of a narrow set of op, of, of uh, uh, options. You know, God—it's just not—you know—you when you decide if you want to go to a certain school or not, you know, you choose between two or three instead of a million. And and so and then any which one is which one's the will of God? Which way do I go? Which way is the will of God? Any way you go. He's going to lead you and guide you and, and move you. He's moving you. It says in the psalm, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. We might say, well, we're not good men, but you are because the good one lives in you. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. It says, even though he may stumble, he will not be utterly cast down, for the hand of the Lord will hold him up. And he, he says, oh, David said, oh, Lord, you have enlarged the steps under me. So it's like I can't make a misstep. It looks like I'm about to step on a mine and oh my goodness, something comes and gets on top of that mine and keeps me from stepping on it. You can trust Him. We can trust Him. He leads us and guides us every moment of the day. And, and the, but He wants us to be more than even than that. He wants us to realize that we've come to a place where we are living expressions of Him. He said, I am the light of the world. And in the, and in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, you are the light of the world. Well, how could that be except the light of the world, the light of all the world, live in each of us individually? So each of us individually are the light. And you don't have to worry about putting your candle under a bushel because that's not your desire. Because He's filled you with His desires. He's filled you with His heart to do His will. He's filled you with a heart for others. And so He's going to lead you and guide you and cause you to walk in His way and cause you to speak His Word and cause you to, to uh, express Him. And bear about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus may be manifest in your mortal flesh each and every day. And that's just something we hook into by faith and just say, Oh Lord, you might say, I want that. And He says, Well, it's yours. It's my gift to you. Because it's not something you work at. It's something I give you. It's like David and Saul. David didn't take the kingdom. He lived in a cave. You know, lived out in the wilderness. 
even though he was anointed king, even though by rights the kingdom had been taken from Saul, Samuel had, had declared it, but David didn't take it. He waited until Saul self-destructed when he couldn't overcome the, 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 the enemies of the Lord anymore, the Philistines, which is another parable of Romans 7. It's like when before when we're going through Romans 7, it's like we're Saul. We think we can do it. We think we, we can perform the sacrifice. We think we know what righteousness and holiness is. And we can do it. But we come to the end of that and we say, Oh, wretched man that I am. And that's like Saul following on his sword at Mount Gaboa. Because the enemies of the Lord are about to overrun him. He knows he can't do it. Sin has overtaken me and I cannot keep myself from what am I going to do, a wretched man that I am? But then David rises up. And David is the Romans 8 man. That's us. That's us now. We're not Saul anymore. We're David. And the kingdom is given to us. And he says, go out. Go out. Be. Just be. Just walk. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it. It'll be me doing it. Because I'm, I'm walking in you. I'm guiding you whether you realize it or not. I'm leading you whether you know it or not. I'm putting you where you need to be even though you don't have a clue. Guy said the church that I spoke at on Sunday says, I don't know how to go out and I don't know how to come in. But he does and he does it in me. Well, anybody else? Learn how to be content in whatsoever state I am. Notice he says, I've learned it. Well, if nobody has anything more to say, I won't preach on anymore. Um, Pastor Theory? Amen. Let's give a lot of hands back. It's not given for us to try to memorize everything that you say. A lot of times people think uh, spirituality is based upon saying a lot of things. It's not saying a lot of things knowing you personally. Mm-hmm. Amen. And uh, I've seen spiritual people that couldn't even read. Let alone spout out, you know, a whole lot of things, a lot of truths. Because we know truths in, in a sense, but where we live is not worked out where we live. And therefore we struggle because we're trying to do it out of ourselves instead of just resting in Him. And that person who may not know anything, but he just knows Jesus loves them and Christ is his life, and that person is content. Because we understand those people didn't have what we, the, the message, the faith movement today is about knowing the Word, and they're speaking of letter, scriptures. Mm-hmm. It's not about that, it's knowing the person. Amen, Jesus. absolutely. Because if you look at history, it ain't been that many years that we had access to a, a physical Bible that we can memorize scriptures. But yet, people, like you were talking about, the remnant that, that knew the mystery, or not the mystery, the truth that Christ in us mm-hmm. is, the, is, is the reality. That that is what makes Christianity is not, a, I often say, is heaven is not the goal of Christianity, even though heaven is the reality. Jesus 
himself. Absolutely, yes. Jesus himself. He's the journey and the destiny. Yes, absolutely. And so with that being said, then it's not about, I said that in, in response to what all the all that we heard. And if you'd like to hear it again, I'm quite sure Fred's going to upload it on the internet. I have a chance to hear yes. it again. But the thing is, is that it ain't just like a lot of times we sit down trying to remember every word. If you only get one word I would say, and that is Christ revealed that one thing to you. That's all right for now. Yes. Right where you are. Mm-hmm. Because I've seen so many folks, that, uh, uh, they say, well, I, I can't understand all of that. It ain't about understanding all of that. You just let Jesus do it. Amen. He'll reveal himself to you. Amen. And that's the key. When we stop trying mm-hmm. and let him have his way. Yep. That's the secret. But I'm telling you what, most of us wrestle just like uh, uh, Jacob did. We're still wrestling. And we come to our Waterloo and we all, the ones that came this we have to come to the end of ourselves. That's when we recognize that we are uh, not sufficient to think of anything to the end of ourselves and our sufficiencies of God. Amen. Amen. So, we thank God again. Let's do it. One more hand clap. I can show but he will be with us again on tomorrow night at 7.30 at Pastor Williams Church, uh, 418 South Sanford Avenue. 418 South Sanford Avenue. And when you say that, say it about five, ten times right quick because I asked Pastor Williams on the radio to just, just about a couple of minutes before I went on the air. I said, what's